What's going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Writing Friction. And as always, today's guest is pretty cool. Everyone say hello to Jeff Vandermeer. How are you, Jeff? I'm doing fine. How about yourself? Not too bad. Not too bad. I got to ask, what's behind your right shoulder? What's the, is there a theme to that painting? Behind my right shoulder. First of all, let me figure out which is right from left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually, a, um, it's actually a, 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 an image by Eric Nyquist of all the different crazy uh, creatures in my novel, Born. Okay. Uh, which is kind of like all, got all kinds of like biotech uh, creations that have been set loose in this kind of ruined city. So, okay. And on the right, uh, on the left rather, or the other side, uh, uh, is is um, the first cover for one of the first books I ever had published, uh, City of Saints and Madmen. So. That's do- that's super dope. That's something I think I would do. Um, I'm a huge, I'm I'm, I'm an avid concert poster collector. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. getting my posters framed yeah. with the ticket stubs. It's a big hobby of mine. But that's I've never. I don't think I've had anyone on the podcast with a nice frame up. Uh, is that the back cover too? I can't see the full spread. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually uh, it's done like a, a, a fake illuminated manuscript yeah. uh, with text on the cover and the image in the middle. So yeah, it's like a gold record almost it's pretty yeah cool. yeah kind of yeah that's dope yeah. well we're already talking about music so we were talking about before the podcast yeah. um yeah. doing a little research before we did this i mean it seems like you're a, a pretty eclectic dude you do a lot of things um the first thing that caught my eye is and something that i've always thought about but maybe you could talk more about it mm-hmm. is you worked with a pretty popular band uh the band murder by death yeah and correct me if i'm wrong they wrote music to one of your books they did. They wrote uh, music to Finch, uh, which is kind of a noir fantasy with this kind of hard-boiled detective in it. And uh, it's amazing music. Like, uh, I used to have a, a playlist that it would come along, and I'd forget it was it was from my <laughs> the soundtrack for my novel. Like, that's pretty cool. Um, like, one thing they did is there's one point where the detective actually goes to this, like, underground party, and there's a band that's using, like, found objects, like trash can lids. Yeah. To make music yeah and they actually created a song on on this album that's using those same instruments which i thought was so cool well so, so two questions one what was the was there any connection to the band beforehand and two whose idea was it was it their idea or your idea yeah well um i've actually had soundtracks i had soundtracks for all the books in that series starting out oh, okay. with an uh, experimental soundtrack by a guy named robert Devereaux, and then uh, the church uh, that band with the under the milky way uh, song uh, did one for the one before that and then i'd always loved murder by death music and so i just took a chance and i reached out to them it turned out they were big science fiction fantasy fans yeah and i found the book they responded to it and they wanted to do it and we found a way to, to monetize it so it made sense so i mean it's something i always thought about with a way to at least promote a book if not mm. you know way to monetize more way, yeah. i mean you're talking to a dude who's at the tail end of writing a fictional rock and roll band novel i mean oh, it's cool. pretty much yeah, done yeah. so yeah, i'm like yeah. in the world of you know late 90s music yeah. just that's yeah. what i've been the last three years of my life but i'm also a musician i'm a touring musician i've been playing in mm-hmm. bands forever so you, you always, can create the soundtrack <laughs> literally but it's something yeah. i've always thought about it's you know yeah. there's never books never seem to correlate with other art forms i, I mm-hmm. mean again we're talking you literally had to frame your book cover um you know there's no art that gets presented with books it's just the book the words that's it that's it it's a done deal but yeah talking about the idea of a soundtrack for a book is just another example. I mean, is that something you think about often or are you always looking outside? Yeah. Well, I tend to blur the lines a lot. Um, there've been short films that have been connected to the release of the books. Uh, a lot of the books, uh, have some kind of imagery inside that's actually like part of the plot, you know, 
not just incidental decoration, uh, and including Hummingbird Salamander's latest one, which has some images inside to kind of like support what's going on in the narrative. So the music's just kind of an extension of that. And uh, when it really works out well, the synergy is such that like with the Murder by Death soundtrack, it's inspiring stuff for the next fiction set in that same place. So, mm-hmm. um, and I always listen to music when I'm writing, like I need uh, the right mood, like to, like I'm doing a real big dramatic scene, <laughs> but I need something really big and dramatic in the background. Yeah. Um, it has to be something that I've listened to a fair amount so I don't get caught up in the lyrics. Cause I remember a couple of times I'd be writing and I read the scene afterwards and I'd be like, Oh, I see. I typed the lyrics into my, <laughs> into my scene. That's crazy. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't, I can't write with to music that has lyrics. Otherwise yeah, it's yeah. Just, I'm thinking, but that's why I said I've listened to it a bit. And then the lyrics kind of are in the background in my head, but yeah, new stuff that I can't. So. Has that always been your jam? Have you always been a person who works to music? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I still remember that I was working on some really heavy uh, kind of post-apocalyptic stuff way back uh, when I was in my early 20s. And uh, Midnight Oil had a, 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 an album called Red Sails in the Sunset. This was before they hit it big. Like They had some really great like post-punk music. And then they hit it big. And I think people thought they were like really commercial, even though they still weren't. They just were a little more more radio-friendly. But this album was like just so important to me in terms of setting the mood and getting this kind of alien vibe. Uh, so a lot of times the music is, is kind of almost a, a collaborator, you know? Uh-huh. Um, have you always been a guy? I mean, aliens and post-apoc, I mean, has that always been since you've been a kid? Is that something you've always been obsessed with or really into? I, I think it's just that, you know, I have this, I, I like weird nature. So yeah. like I, I studied squid and fungus for a long time and those things seem alien to me and like stuff comes out of that, that then in the fiction appears even pretty weirder to, to other people. Uh, although it's, it's, it's the weirdest thing is just simply that I have a wide readership right now, considering what I write about. But, uh, but yeah, I've always been fascinated with like the natural world and that then kind of feeds into it. Cause there's so much stuff in the natural world. that's actually kind of bizarre. And then I just try to write about that um, because it's what my experience is. So. Well, did you grow up in a natural environment? Where did you grow up? Yeah, I grew. I actually grew up in Fiji because my parents were in the Peace Corps. Uh, and so <laughs> it was basically a, a tropical paradise, yeah. yeah. And uh, my mom was a biological illustrator, so we would have like sea turtles flapping around on the front lawn long enough for her to draw them. Oh, and wow. Things like that. And we'd be going out to these outer islands so that my dad could uh, study rhinoceros beetles and stuff. So. You know, we had we, it definitely was like that. And then when we moved to Florida, when we came back, which is even gnarlier, um, <laughs> right? Actually, it is kind of just this, just the same. Um, and and it's actually a, a good thing. I mean, where we live in North Florida is like one of the most biodiverse places in the planet. I mean, it, it's the yard right now. <laughs> you wouldn't even believe it. It's just teeming with wildlife, basically. And we're almost in the center of Tallahassee, Florida. So, Re- is that where you are right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. So. I- um, but before we came on, there was actually an owl fighting with a red-tailed hawk outside in the ravine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I grew I grew up, my, my parents are from the Bronx, and I grew up in northern New Jersey. But oh, our, okay. our family vacation every year was going yeah. to visit the grandparents in, in uh, Fort Lauderdale. And yeah, my yeah, grandfather, okay. uh, one of my grandfathers, was an avid golfer. And yeah, one yeah. day he took me out on a golf, I was a kid. And we're playing it all of a sudden. He, he's like, Oh, Michael, look to the left. And I looked to my, and there's a fucking alligator that's probably, oh, yeah. I mean, and I'm a kid, you know, and to me, and yeah, that image is burnt. So every time I go back to Florida, I literally expect Alligator Alley, right? That highway that, oh, goes yeah, yeah, yeah. Mean. And actually, my, my wife's family is from Fort Lauderdale. So we've been down there quite a bit. So yeah. I, I know the vibe down there very well. Yeah. Um, 
And the alligator thing cracks me up because they're not usually very dangerous, but, but like the one time I took somebody really hiking way out at like this, this wildlife refuge and I kept telling him, oh, the gators aren't dangerous. I forgot it was actually mating season. And so there was one gator across the path that probably would have cut us in half. <laughs> so, so it's just kind of funny because like usually they're very dormant, they're like sleepy logs, but there's a certain season where they're hyper alert and you definitely don't want to tangle with them. So I have jumped over a gator before. Literally. Um, and what, what that looks like is just simply you're out, you're walking along and there's water on both sides and a raised trail. And the gator's long enough that if you time to jump right, it doesn't even notice that its head's like in the grass. So. <laughs> but you got to time to jump right. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, again, I grew up in northern New Jersey. I didn't grow up around alligators. I grew up. Yeah, but you got like the pine barrens and all that up there. Too, yeah, that's right? where I the mean, mafia kills people. That's where I grew up. Yeah, around. yeah. And, so alligators uh, are mafia. Exactly. Yeah. But now I live in San Francisco and I take my puppy. I have a puppy. We go hiking up in Moraine and stuff. You see rattlesnakes all the time. Yeah. Um, No gators there, though. Definitely not. No, there's a different kind of gator here. (laughs) We don't get into that. Um, So growing up in Fiji, I mean, how old were you when you went to Florida? I mean, did you spend your whole childhood in Fiji? Uh, I was uh, maybe nine, nine and a half when we came back to the U.S. And uh, so just just old enough to appreciate it and remember some things yeah. and then fill in the rest with like photographs. You know? Yeah, of course. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but no, we moved to Ithaca for two terrible years because going from Fiji to Ithaca in the dead of winter was like another planet. <laughs> and so we quickly left, even though I like Ithaca now when I go, you know, up, up to New York. Great. But yeah, but then it was like just horrifying. <laughs> My uncle who listens to this podcast lives in Ithaca and he'll, he's okay. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, well, he's, a he's a city. professor. Really is. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think it's a, a, an interesting place. Uh, so when when did the writing bug hit you? I mean, you know, again, yeah. it seems like you're a pretty prolific dude. I mean, when did this all start snowballing up for you? Actually, in Fiji, uh, I was around uh, seven or eight when I started writing. Yeah. And uh, I, I had kept these bird lists because <laughs> I like birding. And one day I just started writing short stories about birds and stuff. And I don't know why, just the, I, I got hooked on, my parents, you know, gave us, gave me a lot of books very early and, and read to us. And um, I think I just got really hooked on storytelling. And so ever since then I've been writing. And uh, I think that was really the, the, the biggest strength for me is that I knew very early on, that's what I wanted to do. And I think uh-huh. the biggest problem sometimes is when you don't. You know, so by the time I went to college, you know, I knew, I, I still knew I wanted to write. I'd already been published and, and been submitting work. And, uh, you know, I dropped out of college because I went in going for a journalism degree thinking that was the responsible thing to do and realizing all I really wanted to do was write fiction. So yeah. I dropped out of college. I got a tech writing and editing job, which was fairly lucrative and not enough. You know, it didn't take so much of my brain that I couldn't write on the side and just kind of went from there and then eventually became a full-time writer. So. Um, you said a tech writing job. Was this like during the early 2000s or when, when was this? Uh, yeah, it was before that. It would be like in the, the 90s uh-huh. uh, and then, then into the early 2000s. I became a full-time writer in 2007. So I, I worked for like three different jobs. One was pretty hilarious because it was like personal assistant for a, a kind of eccentric genius who wrote manuals for different industries. I remember one time without going into detail that he assigned me to get Michael Jackson to support um, do an ad for small private aircraft because that supported something that he was doing manuals for. And so I spent a, the stupidest week of my life trying to contact Michael Jackson, knowing it was futile and also given the news, probably a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> so there was a lot of weird crap that happened. I mean, I had another day job where um, somebody threw a, a, a 
tile at me and almost caught me in the throat because it was like a for the flies of middle management you know i mean it, it was it was some really interesting gigs in the sense that it gave me a lot of writing material and you were writing during that whole time when you were doing these odd jobs yeah yeah i mean i learned not to be very precious about the right kind of pen the right time i learned not to be precious about writing something in order so that helped a lot like if i had yeah. 30 minutes i just wrote part of the, the novel i was passionate about and worried about how it was all going to sequence later oh really uh, okay so yeah, so it was like, you know, some of these jobs, like one, I had a 60-hour <laughs> a week job where we were going around the state of Florida uh, and, and a contractor with the, the county health department going to every single county health department in, in some some pretty interesting places, let's put it that way, and, uh, and trying to write at the same time. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I remember it, it was so weird, like uh, the guy who was doing the project with like lost a tooth in the middle of a meeting it just popped out of his face i mean all kinds of weird stuff happened so you see he lost uh, a tooth yeah 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 i mean he lost a tooth i remember one time that uh we almost got in a car accident another time i was trying to print out stuff in the hotel uh printer room and the psychopath came in and, and started harassing me and uh, it's just, you know, all kinds of weird stuff. You're really helping out the state of Florida in this podcast. Yeah, I know. I, I really <laughs> shouldn't say this, you know. <laughs> it's like I ran in naked with a machete screaming. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so I guess, you know, I, I want to kind of get back to what you just yeah. said before, though, about you can write and you can skip along. Do you, I'll ask a general question. When you start a project, do you already know the end? Um, you know, basically what it is, I don't start writing until I know the end, even if the end changes by the time I finish the draft. Okay. So my process now is, is a little different, which is to say, I do a lot of writing in my head while I'm hiking or, or at the gym, something that where I have to kind of be away from the writing. So it kind of makes it easier to think about it, oddly enough, you know, not being at the computer. And, uh, I'll just take notes on little note cards. Um, I don't like using a phone or anything for that. I'm very superstitious about losing something or something getting deleted. You mean like the notes and stuff like that on your phone? Yeah. Yeah. I don't like using that at all. I like it to be a physical act, uh, uh -huh. more physical than that. And so uh, I'll even write it on a leaf. There was one hike where I ran out of paper and <laughs> I had to figure out what leaves would not crumble the dust in my pocket. With it reminds me of, that, you know the book Papillon? <laughs> Which one? Papillon. No, I don't think I know that one. It, it was a, it. it was by a French author. They made a movie out of it in the seventies. Oh, Papillon, yeah, 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 yeah. But he he was right yeah. in the book. He talks about he was right. He was right, <laughs> like literally on on his foot. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but then what happens is I basically will take and those will be like scene fragments, character ideas, details. I'll I'll at the end of a week I'll take all of that material yeah. <laughs> and I'll type it up in chronological order in a word document. So by the time I actually start to write a novel. I might have 33,000, 35,000 words of scene fragments, character ideas that are chronologically set up. Uh, so that's almost like a weird fragmented outline. Like okay. so I know certain things are going to happen. And, Any and, and dialogue the, or scene description? Yeah, dialogue, little scenes like that, yeah. things like that. And so, uh, you know, some of that might not make it into the final novel, but having it there in one document, uh, most of the time when I get to around 35,000 words, I know, okay, it's time to actually write a rough draft. And then what uh -huh. I'll do is I'll sit down and I'll try to write the first uh, 15, 20 pages, get the style right, get the voice right, and kind of perfect that. And once I have that perfect and I kind of know the voice of the character, feel like I can method act the character, um, then I'll write the rest. And I'll just do a full rough draft without rewriting, and then I'll go back. 
Okay. Yeah, I mean, you, you're saying you know your technique is very different than most people that come on the podcast. I think it but, is, probably. but I'm I'm of a, a similar vibe. You know, I'm I'm a writer who, uh, to me, like when I wrote when I, this novel, I started at the end of the book. Like you know what the end yeah. of the book in the first chapter, yeah. right? Like the band breaks yeah. up. Like you, so, I bring yeah. you. But to me, that was how I was able to write that book by knowing the end. And it seemed, yeah. but that never took away the creative spark in me because filling in the rest of it was, it, it, it almost allowed more freedom in me. Um, yeah. Well, well, yeah. I mean, in, in theory, a novel is a journey anyway. It's not just about where you wind up in the end. So yeah. depending on how you think about it, you know, uh, I also think a lot of people don't necessarily uh, experiment with their process early on like they do it one way and then they just keep doing it that way because that's the way they've done it yeah and and really especially when you're starting out the best thing to do is experiment you know even time of day that you write all kinds of things and, and writing out a sequence and see how that works for you um yeah so you know it's, it's whatever doesn't break break your ability to write the novel whatever that is you know well did you kind of figure that out early on i mean was your it seemed like again you had to write when you had the time to write i mean you had no yeah. option yeah, well, I mean, when I was a kid, I could write whenever I wanted to. And yeah. then once I had to go out in the world. So I'd had that experience as well. I think also the fact that I wrote uh, short stories before I started tackling novels. Yeah. Uh, so that, you know, I was writing a lot of different kinds of short stories. And it wasn't that I was just writing them so I could write a novel. It's just that I wrote a lot of different types. And that gave me a lot of experience in what my process was and what worked for me and what didn't. Yeah. And so then so. what was the story behind getting that first novel behind your left shoulder published? Uh, that was a, a long ass process. Uh, it was a novel called City of Saints and Mad Men. And, uh, you know, I, I, first of all, had it rejected by all the major publishers, uh, the individuals connected stories that, that, you know, I tried to sell those. I had really a lot of trouble selling those, even though I told a lot of short stories in general. Yeah. And, uh, I had some weird experiences, like one guy, uh, one small press, uh, publisher bought it and then became a religious fanatic and when it came time for the edits he wanted me to edit it so that all the characters were symbolic of characters in the old testament which made no sense for the novel another editor in the fantasy novel uh, in an imaginary place said oh i'll take this but you have to change the setting to 1900 paris and take out the fantasy element which made no sense and then the, the worst one was this guy who bought it this small press and he had me collect money from friends and fans for a limited edition. And <laughs> I heard nothing for six months. Everything had been going well. And then finally, out of the blue, he emails me and says that he's on his honeymoon. He spent all the money on his honeymoon. And he's really sorry he can't publish the book. Um, later, I found out he actually had a nervous breakdown because he'd been bilking so many people out of money for his well, press. And he was actually in a sanitarium, but he thought that sounded wrong. You couldn't have been uh, the only one, yeah. Yeah, and he was actually emailing me from a different account pretending to be his own lawyer to try and stop me from getting the money back. So wow. I just let it sit for a while. Uh, and then finally, another small press came along to publish it. And then this weird thing happened where the same stuff that was unpublishable found a major commercial publisher. And then this last year, those novels, the Ambergris novels, were reprinted by FSG. So you just never know. Sometimes it's not the right moment. Sometimes you're with the wrong people. <laughs> You know, and, and, and the main thing all, all along was I knew it was pretty surreal stuff. So I couldn't like take someone's advice that, oh, this is too, you know, this isn't right or whatever. It's what I was writing. It was, I knew that there might be a moment for it to become more popular, but I couldn't write something else, you know? Yeah. So. Well, I mean, it seems like you know, you're a pretty level headed dude. I mean, when you were, when these were suggestions were getting told to you back then, I don't know how old were you when this was happening. I was in my early 20s. 
So. so you're a young guy. I mean, you know, were, were yeah. you were not, were you pretty non-emotional about it? Were you kind of like this? I see this for what it is. I'm going to stick to my guns. I, uh, well, I was sticking to my guns wasn't a problem because the way my subconscious works, I can't really, I just can't physically change something in a way I don't think is right. But yeah. not that I don't take editorial suggestions. Just I can't, I just can't, you know, I can't do Paris 900. But no, I was actually pretty upset because back then, you know, I was publishing sword stories, but I, I didn't have any kind of name in the business at all. So yeah. I always, I kept thinking this is going to be my big break and it kept breaking on me in this weird way. And so where I became very paranoid about publishing in general, uh, learned a lot along the way, but, uh, but yeah, so no, it was pretty devastating at the time. And, and uh, I just had to pick up the pieces, but you know, what's good about that is when you, when you have that happen to you early on, later on is when nothing really phases you. So since then, when there have been down periods, it doesn't phase me at all uh, because I've never seen anything quite as ridiculous as what I saw when I started out. Uh, and I think that, that you see this, you see this with like boxers and stuff too. It's like the boxer who's 24 and 0 and knocked everybody out and then comes up against a difficult opponent might not actually have the psychological wherewithal to endure actual opposition you know, and I think it's the same thing with writers. There's, you're, sometimes if your first book is like really big and huge and everybody tells you you're wonderful, then if something terrible happens down the line, you just you, you don't necessarily have the fortitude to, to deal with it. My first book that came out a year ago is about an old retired boxer oh, really? in Jersey oh, cool. City. And he's tra- yeah. training this young and up and coming yeah. heavyweight in a boxing yeah. gym in Jersey City. Yeah. Um, I'm a boxing fanatic. So when you said boxing, I am too, actually. Okay. <laughs> um, it, it's, yeah, I started boxing mm-hmm. four years ago. Yeah, I don't box, but I, 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 am, uh, I follow the sport quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's my sport. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we won't, we won't turn this into a boxing. Uh, no, no. But I mean, what I was saying specifically then was I'll like send you a Tyson. copy of my book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to read it now, definitely. But uh, but yeah, it's not turning it into boxing. But I find the psychology of all that really fascinating. Without a mean? doubt, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, and again, when you said you know you learn all that stuff in the beginning, beginning to me, it's like getting just thrown in the deep end. Um, yeah, you, you got to learn how to swim. Yeah, it's like it's like the deceptive boxer who has like a like a fifteen and seven record, but you don't realize that he was thrown in with like the toughest opposition, and suddenly out of nowhere he's like beating guys he's not supposed to beat. Right? You know? There are people who have to fight Canelo Alvarez while Canelo <laughs> Alvarez is on the way up. People have to yeah. fight him, right? And those yeah. guys, yeah, exactly. That the, yeah. they're called journeymen. Um, right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's a dude. Um, he's gonna come on the podcast. I don't know if you know him. His name's Michael Montero, and he uh, has a really popular oh. boxing radio show and, mm-hmm. and a podcast. Yeah. Um, he's like one of those you know ringside yeah, guys yeah, on yeah, the yeah. computer and stuff. Yeah. Have you ever been to a boxing match? I've never been to one. I've never never had the opportunity. I mean, I, I guess that the the couple of times there's been a boxing match in Tallahassee, it's been yeah. at a skill level where I'm just afraid of and and looking at the opponents, I'm like. Basically, this one guy is going to just beat the crap out of the other. I don't know if I want to watch that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, well, I mean, you said, uh, have you had a chance to, uh, do you ever travel back to Southeast, to Fiji? I mean, anywhere do you go back to these places? I, I haven't been back to, to Fiji. Uh, you know, I have traveled, uh, you know, one thing we did in the Peace Corps is we traveled around the world before we came back to the yeah. U.S. Uh, and that was pretty formative for like six months in like yeah. YMCA's and, and hostels and stuff. And that was pretty intensely amazing. Yeah. Uh, and I've gone back to some of those countries, but there's something weird in my mind about Fiji, which is I would like to go back, but at the same time, it is a hell of a long distance. And also I have this Fiji in my mind from being a kid. I just 
just don't know. I don't know how that would match up. You it's know? like Gilligan's Island, right? Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's like Gilligan's Island, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a weird yeah. thing. I probably do. I do want to go back, but it, well, the reason I asked is I was in Thailand maybe two mm. years ago or something like that. Um, and in Bangkok, they have this big yeah, famous kickboxing. Um, yes, of course. Arena. Yeah. Muay Thai. Yeah. And more time. And um, yeah. I went to their fight. I went to the fight. And yeah. I mean, it's a scene straight out of Roadhouse. People behind chain mm-hmm. fences, smoking cigarettes, gambling. And, and it, it, yeah. it was out of. But all that the stuff fight, is really intense. Yeah. <laughs> but to my, to my eye, it seemed like every fight was fixed. Oh, um, really? You know, pe- yeah, like fighters yeah. were just taking falls. Like they brought one yeah. guy out on a stretcher. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it was almost like half. Muay Thai half WWF. It was weird. Right, right, right. And that's, that's one of the things that's put me off of boxing a little bit is sometimes when it's clear that it fixes in with on the judges' scorecards and it's so clearly one sided the other way that that's put me off a little bit. So I don't. It's really what's boxing, put a, a lot to. of people off from the sport, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there are some decisions where it's just your jaws on the floor. Uh, yeah. But then it goes the other way where you have, you know, Deontay Wilder saying that, you know, Tyson Fury had egg shakers in his hand or I, what, you know, I followed that guy. And for the longest time, I thought he was the real deal. I bummer. really did. What a bummer. And uh, yeah. it's not enough technique in the end, is it? Yeah, it's you know? crazy. I mean, I, they, I think they just were, were recording this. I think the Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua just got signed. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that'll be interesting too. God, we're turning off a lot of people right now. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> try to focus this back around um so when this when the ball started going you know mm-hmm. wh- what was your move you stayed in florida have you always been a florida guy is this where you spent your life yeah yeah i mean i i grew up in uh after coming back to fiji in gainesville florida which is closer to central florida and yeah. then moved up uh, to be with Anna. became a is my wife now uh, to tallahassee which is north florida i yeah. just fell in love with this place it is so wild uh like i said it's just like wilderness in the city uh, which is something I love, but there's still enough culture that you got that as well. I couldn't really live in a big, big city. Yeah. Uh, so, so this is kind of suits me. And, uh, you know, I've, I've grown to love and be an advocate for the, the, the environment here. And, and, uh, so we're pretty, we're pretty much yeah. here. Although I love the, I love the West coast of California. I mean, there's nothing I like better than that. In terms of yeah. I'm looking at the sun literally coming over the, you know, right now, but, but yeah, the yeah. reason I asked was, I mean, as an author, I mean, were you, did you have to, you know, it seems like all the publishers are in New York. Did you have, mm-hmm. was that an issue not being around New York city at any point in your career? Or? Not, not really. And I mean, my agent isn't even in New York. She's in oh, okay. uh, Vancouver, uh, but she travels there. She uses email and everything. I think it's, it's much less centralized in the sense of you don't have to be a writer there. And, and of course, you know, especially early on, it really helped that it's cheap to live in Tallahassee. I mean, I don't know if I could have even transitioned to becoming a full-time writer at first. If I lived in New York city. I mean, that, that that's just nuts. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think that's also a factor, but, um, no, it's never really hindered me at all. Yeah. And of course, the more and more the internet's become, you know, omnipresent, the less. Yeah. Well, have you, I mean, how much have you seen this business change in your time, you know, writing and being in it? I think there's, there's, there's more pressure, uh, that writers put on themselves to self promote given the opportunity to be visible. Um, and sometimes I think that's counterproductive because the first thing I think a writer needs to do is figure out, what they're actually good at. You know what I mean? If you're best at face to face, that's what you should be doing. If you are crap at social media, you probably should, you know, limit your profile there. Um, and also because, also because you, you, you should do the thing that is most fun for you. So I think that's the biggest, biggest yeah. thing is I see a lot of writers pushing them into spaces themselves into spaces where they're uncomfortable and maybe they think they have to, maybe sometimes they do, but 
but I wish I, I, I wish it wasn't necessary. And I do think that publishers do more work than people think. So, you know, I, well, that's the biggest thing. Well, I'm sorry. What, what was the last thing you said? You said about the publishers. I'm sorry. sorry. I think publishers do do more work than people think. Uh, uh-huh. It's just a matter of like sussing it out and having the right meetings and and, and the right communication. Um, but uh, well, yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting. There's more opportunities for writers than ever before, too. I mean. You can self-publish if you want and be successful that way. You can go through a traditional publisher. You can do some kind of mix of those things, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, it's almost like the music world when Napster came out, you know, as mm-hmm. a musician, you know, all of a sudden, you know, and then I could record a, an album on my laptop and now, you right, know, but right. it, it's that conversation of, you know, self I, I So I self-published my first book, it was the novella, because yeah. nobody yeah. wanted to publish a novella. Um, mm-hmm. And especially for a first-time author. And yeah. doing that, you know, I heard some different things, you know, people like, you know, when you try to get your second book published, you know, publishers might not want to work with you, things like that, because you self-published. Yeah. And I'm like, but at the end of the day, it's like, you create, I, I got rejected by 73 agents. And well, yeah. yeah, I don't even think that's even true. I mean, I don't think it's true. I mean, I think that there's more freedom when you're self-published because when you're with a traditional publisher, they're always looking at the sales figures with self-publishing where you're not sure what your distribution methods are going to be and everything. Uh, a traditional publisher is not going to look at anything with regard to that experience and take it as symptomatic of what your audience is or isn't. You know, I mean, if, you, if you're really successful, that's great. And they'll definitely pick up on that. But if you're not, it's not going to matter. It's, it's, so, you know, it, 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 I, I, I don't and I don't find any stigma attached to, to self-publishing. I think it's just another tool that you can use in a particular situation when you need to, you know? Yeah. And, and in 2020, you know, it's different than in, you know, in 1990, if you were trying right. to self-publish a exactly. book, I don't even know how you would do that. But today, well, I did, I did actually. Did. Oh, okay. <laughs> My oh, first collection was self-published then. And, and basically what you did is you went down to the print shop and you had them print up your book and you had like maybe 500 copies and yeah. you did what you could to sell them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you went with a vanity press, which would charge you a crap load of money to, 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 to print like, 5,000 copies that probably wouldn't sell at all because you still couldn't get the word out, you know? Yeah. So that's well, definitely a better situation for self-publishing. Totally. Now. And we started this by, cause I, I brought up the musicians, you know, it's the same yeah. thing as recording an album, mm-hmm. going on tour, selling it out of the back of your van. Um, you know, it, it's almost yeah. the same kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, Jeff, this, this has been a blast, man. Um, I usually kind of end these with two quick questions. Um, mm-hmm. first you brought it up. Are you, do you do social media, anything like that? Is that, I, I don't know, Twitter, Instagram, or can people get in touch? Yeah, with yeah. I'm on Twitter. It's pretty easy to find me there. And I post a lot of uh, photos of the wildlife of our yard because we've been rewilding the, the yard for a while. And so you okay, know, yeah. can find raccoons, possums, armadillos, and birds. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm also, I am also on Facebook. I'm not as much on Instagram. Uh, I'm actually locked out of Instagram right now because I had multiple accounts and they couldn't figure me out. Okay. Uh, but what, <laughs> but you can find me on Twitter for sure. What now? What's the, it's just uh, the Jeff Vandermeer. You can just you'll find me right away. Okay, uh, cool. And um, last question: As a Florida guy, uh, what bookstores do you like to represent? Who where should people buy your books from? Uh, Tom Below in uh, Tampa, Third House in Gainesville, and in my hometown, Tallahassee, Midtown Reader. Um, you a Tom Petty fan? I am actually. I actually went to the the high school that Tom Petty didn't go to in Gainesville. <laughs> so Gainesville I had to ask Jeff. This has been a blast, man. Great. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. And uh, we'll uh, talk boxing, I'm sure, at some point. Yeah, really. (laughs) Thanks. All right, Jeff. Take care, man. Take care. (laughs) Bye-bye.